Good evening. Welcome to uh, Bible study. First Baptist Church of Artesia. The Epistle to the Romans, part 10. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for this opportunity to go into your word. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that uh, you guide our reading uh, tonight. You guide our study. You guide our application, our thought process in all of this. Uh, we just thank you uh, that you're here with us to, to help us as we uh, study. And so, Lord, I thank you for those that are here, those that are on their way, those that couldn't make it, Lord. Uh, we just ask that you be with all of us right where we're at, Lord, even those listening on your podcast. So, Father, we just thank you and give you praise and honor and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay. Romans chapter 12 is a transition. Uh, it's kind of been a lot of theology, kind of this is what Christianity is. And then now it's going to be, this is, now that we know what Christianity is, this is who we should be. Uh, you know, so it's like, here's the application kind of part. Uh, the application, as I put down, the application of the righteousness of God. Uh, the chapter 12 is responsibilities towards God. In other words, practical. What what are we supposed to do? Because I think sometimes in Christianity, people think God just does everything and we don't do everything. Yes, he does all the big things, but then we're supposed to carry out his plan. You know, and so how do we do that? And so now this is what we're transitioning into now. So Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. It says, I urge you, therefore, by the way, whenever you get to therefore in the Bible, in the New Testament, it's generally going to be a theme change. So when you see that therefore, it means since I've already told you this, now this is what's going to what it's going to be. So therefore is always a uh, a transition. So uh, so Romans twelve verse one and two again. He says, "I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God." That's a that's a, that's a uh, doctrine statement. God is merciful. By the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So, when he says we're living sacrifices, what is he talking about? So what's a living sacrifice? Why does he use that term? A living sacrifice. Follower. Hmm? Followers. Followers. There's more to it, but that's part of it. To put down ourself? Put away ourself and sacrifice. He's going to be talking about that in a second. Yeah, that's that's kind of part of it too. But remember, what is Paul doing? He's transitioning, if this is the Old Testament, he's transitioning them into the New Testament. Mm -hmm. So in the Old Testament, what did you have? You offered sacrifices. And so he says, now the sacrifice is you. I mean, Jesus Christ is a sacrifice for our sins, but now here's the application. 
we now offer ourselves to God as workmen. Okay? As, as uh, to, to share the gospel, the good news. And he's going to break down that more. So it's now we are living offerings to God. That's what a sacrifice is, right? It's an offering to God. So therefore now you are, a, you are an offering to God. Right? Because when you, when you read that and just, well, wait a minute, what is a living sacrifice? Because yeah. we know sacrifice is something that you, yeah. you kill. Well, how's a living? So again, you have to understand the Old Testament to understand the New Testament. Uh, so in other words, it's our actions, a living sacrifice, our actions. We are now doing things. Uh, I mean, we live for Christ now, right? We share the gospel for Christ. We uh, do things. We understand that our lives are not our own. We follow him. We follow his instructions. We, uh, we're now changed. And so he begins this, Therefore, brethren, I urge you by the mercies of God, present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. In other words, what's the result of our, our, our salvation? Just that we get everything and everything is good and sweet and no, now we're our service to God, right? And do not be conformed to this world, verse 2, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. You know, a transformed mind. He's writing to the Romans who are new to Christianity. He tells them, this is what Christianity is. This is what Christianity is supposed to be. Now he's saying this is what you are supposed to do inside of Christianity. And number one is we have to transform transform our minds. Why? Because our thought process is now different. It's not worldly anymore, right? Our thought process is now godly. We should be dwelling on the righteousness of God. Again, theology. Who is God? What is he doing? And where am I in relationship to that? So my relationship is I should be offering myself as a living sacrifice to God. And I need to transform my mind to the things of God. Right? That's why we come to Bible study. That's why we, 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 we come to church. That's why we study scripture. That's why we pray. That's why we, we fellowship together. It's all part of that transformation process. Um, because the world has a different mindset. Right? The mindset of the world is, I'm going to get mine now, and if I have to step over you to get it, I'm going to do that. Right? Or I'll use you to, to, to get my will done, or whatever it might be. Uh, that's kind of the narrative. Today we live in a world, think about it for a second, where now all of a sudden we're using terms like critical theory, cancel culture. You know, these things all move away from the concept of God. God's, God's not, not in that stuff. Not that God isn't in people being treated fairly. What we're talking about when we say critical theory, it's, 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 it moves away from God. You know, it, it moves away from anything that, 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 uh, that, that is God. And so the narrative, you know, this cancel culture stuff, and we were just talking about it uh, before everybody came in about, you know, now, you know, we're so worried about, about, well, you can't say this, you can't say that because this person is going to get offended or this is going to happen or that, you know. Uh, you know, that's the mindset of the world. 
in the, in the, what are they doing? Trying to take us captive and want us to join that. See, they don't ask us if we want to. They tell us you're going to. Right? So it says we need to transform our mind to what? To the things of God. Because if we don't, then we start following that. That's why those things, and it's real dangerous right now, those things are creeping into the church and they're becoming part of the Christian narrative and it has nothing to do with the Bible. We're going to talk a little bit more about that that later. So the transformation, as he says here in verse 2, do not, do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what the will of God is, which is good and acceptable and perfect. In other words, the transformation that we go through and, and the sacrifices we make are pleasing to God. How can I please God? How can I give back to God when he's giving me so much? Transform my mind to the things of God, offer myself as a living sacrifice and serve him. That's, that's all he's asking. Right? Thoughts, questions on that? Because we'll kind of probably pick it up a little bit later. That's a whole sermon already. What's that? That's a whole sermon already. The whole sermon right there, yeah. Diego will be preaching that. <laughs> he did a very good job Sunday, by the way. I, I, I saw it. Thank you, Diego, for, for stepping in literally at the last second. Uh, verse 3 to 5. It says, For through the grace given to me, I say to every man among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. So remember, this is application now, what we're supposed to be doing. The Christian ministry field is level. There's no hierarchy. Right? We all come to Christ the same way, mm -hmm. but we serve Christ differently. But whether you're doing one thing or another, it's not a sliding scale. It's not... It's, it's based upon the gifting that God has given you. Right? And you, you enter into that. So it's a level field. And so we should operate in awareness of this and in all humility. Right? So in other words, just because someone is giving a sermon or teaching a Bible study or controls the books, you know, or does all that stuff, that doesn't mean that they should be all puffed up or that we should puff them up. Let me chase a rabbit real fast. Part of the problem in Christianity is that we sometimes tend to put our leaders on a platform that God did not give them. We, 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 we turn them into celebrities. That's the last thing we should be doing. We should be making sure they stay humble. Because once you become a celebrity, it's game off. Not game on. It's game off. Because now you're doing things in a whole different realm. That's why the mind has to be conformed. And when it's conformed, it's going to be humble. It's not going to be puffed up. It's not going to be arrogant. It's not going to be self-pleasing. 
Uh, it's not going to be after, you know, its own type of thing. Uh, so it's a level playing field, and we should operate in awareness and in all humility. Because remember, we're one body, but individual members inside that body, just as our body itself has legs, hands, shoulders, arms, and they all have a different function. But when it's all working together right, it goes good. But if part of it isn't working, then we have a problem, right? So you think of it in terms of Christianity. He's using that metaphor of the body, but think about it in Christianity. When Christianity is not functioning in the gifting structure and humility and awareness of it, then things go wrong. Thoughts, questions? Yes. Um, and that about no one should be puffed up. Um, I think I mentioned to you before. It's hard to get over that when you are brought up in um, a cult and the leader is practically God on earth and everything that he or she does says you have to do. And then um, you're liberated, but it's still a fight, it's still a battle. Yes, we have to continue to renew the mind to that because growing up and however long we were in that, it shaped us. And so now we have to unshape ourselves and not conform to that, be conformed to that, but renewed and conform ourselves to Christ. So yeah, it's a pro- it's, it's just not a, it's not like turning the switch on because it's learned behavior. And so it's, it's an, and then in some, even in Christianity, uh, in some, uh, some, some, some cultures, that's the way the culture operates. That the person who's in charge is now elevated, and they're more. So that now comes into the church. The problem is, if you renew your mind to what God says, that can't come in. But if we're not on the pages of the Bible, it comes in. Because, you know, you hear all the time, like in cults, he or she is a man or woman of God. And, yeah. and How can you go against yeah. a man or woman of God? Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. So, you know, it's, it's, uh, you know it's, it's a system that's set up for failure, and it's a system that's set up to hurt, because if the woman in charge, in charge can do no wrong, then they're not accountable for when they do wrong because we've all fallen short. We're all going to do something wrong. Yes. And when they get in a position of power where they think they can do whatever they want, then that's when abuse starts. Mm-hmm. They start abusing people. Would that be also creating an idol? Yes, oh yeah, yeah absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's, it's uh, 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 you know, it's, it's when you, when you say... That person has a higher connection with God than the rest of us. You've created an idol. You know. And by the way, in cult, you use the word cult. Cult means worship. So cults are all about worship of the leader. That's what a cult is. That's interesting because growing up, they always refer to this. Mm-hmm. The service as the culto, the, you know, the cult. Mm-hmm. But I never knew that. Yeah, in, 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 
you know, the, the sad part and the hard part is that people come with an open heart and an open mind and they're seeking God and they don't know sometimes that they're entering into dangerous, a dangerous organization. But at some point, the Holy Spirit's there to begin to wake them up and at that point, they have to make a choice. Do I stay or, or do I go? Because again, that's the purpose of the Holy Spirit. I think you have talked about that Sunday. You know, this is you know we have the Holy Spirit there that, that speaks to us, so we have to listen. Mm-hmm. You know, there was uh, uh, on Facebook. There was uh, it was on Todd's thing on um, which is a ministry thing. Somebody asked a question about if I found out that my pastor is an heir, how do I go to him? And what should I do? It was some kind of question like that. And my response was, you sound like you're looking, you're, you're asking for a reason to stay when you already have a reason to leave. Because it doesn't mean that person is going to conform to what you want them to do. And when you see something is wrong, when the leadership's there and you're just a member in the pew, it's not going to change for you. You know? I've been in those situations. It's not, it's not going to change for you. Because if they're above you, control works like this. Control only answers to control. So if they're above you, you have to leave. If you're above them, they have to leave. That's the way control works. It only answers to control. So we renew our mind to the things of God. We renew our mind to humility. We renew our mind to the righteousness of God. We renew our mind to the fact that we are offering up our bodies as a living sacrifice to God. And it is pleasing to God when we do it the way he wants us to do it. So, um, verse 6 to 8. Here's uh, application. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Remember, grace is God's unmerited favor. God gives us the gifts, right? He gives us those gifts. That differ according to the grace given to us. Let each exercise them accordingly. If prophecy according to the portion of his faith and service in his serving. For he who teaches in his teaching. For he who exhorts in his exhortation. He who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. You know, this is part of that application. How do you use the gifts? Like this. You know, he goes about, he explains the gifts also in Galatians. He explains the gift in 1 Corinthians also. You know, talking about all these different gifts and, 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 and how they operate together. So the application of these gifts is according to God's grace. We don't all have the same gifts, yet we are all equal. Remember, he told us we are all equal. It's a level playing field. So in other words, as pastor, I don't tell the praise team what to do. Because the praise team is gifted by God to do that. And so therefore... My job is just to plug the gift in. And if there's something that goes wrong or whatever, then I get in. But if the gift is operating properly, 
I'm just going to be sticking my finger in the spoke in the wheel. <laughs> and it's going to stop turning, right? Because, you know, I carry a tune in a bucket. They carry a tune in their heart. Right? And so, you know, the gift sees things differently. You know, I said this before. It's like sometimes people ask, well, Pastor, what's my gift? Well, what is that thing in church when it's wrong, it bothers you? Because you see it. It's just like somebody, somebody that can sing. They know the harmony's off. They know when the songs are wrong. They know when these songs aren't giving glory to God. They know where this is a little wacky. This is they know, and it drives them crazy. Or a teacher starts screaming at the TV, or the or the or the youth um, pastor or whatever. The kids need this. They need that. They need, and I'm like, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, okay, here, you know, get it for you. You see, the the, the gift, the gift will see because the gift understands it. It's just you're, it's, it's just like a, a person that knows that they're, they're over there working, restoring the building. They go in there and they look in that building and they, they you know, I go in there and I say, oh man, this place is all tore up. What are you going to do? They go in there and say, okay, we got to start with this. Then we're going to do that. Then we're going to do this. And then we're going to do this. And then they expertly do it. And then when it's all done, I say, yeah, that's really good. But in, I have no part in the process because I don't have that gifting, I don't see it. I know when it's wrong, I know when it's right, but in between, no. I don't, I don't have that gift. So, you have, see, the body has to understand its gifting. And, and I tell you, and it makes a point here, verse 8. He who exhorts in exhortation. You know what exhortation is? Encouragement. Yeah. You make somebody feel welcome. You encourage them, you thank them, you you greet them at the door. I mean, th- think about somebody that's never been in this church before. They don't know who we are. We could all be to them a bunch of scary individuals. They don't know we're as cute and sweet as we can be. They don't know that until they walk in the door. Then it's those people, and I watch you guys, you just, you just like bees on honey, you you make them feel comfortable. You make them feel welcome. And what does that do? That puts somebody at ease. It makes them easier for them to come back as opposed to somebody that uh, just comes in, nobody says anything to them. They sit in the back, they leave, you know, and after six months, you know, nobody still said anything to them. And they just wander off, you know. But exhortation is... Uh, uh, even even with your teachers and your pastors, this pastor that was a good sermon, or pastor you did you did this well, or or thanking the um, the praise team for what they do, you know, I've noticed uh, Diego's two sermons he mentioned Shannon both times because what he was saying was the praise team was right on point with the message I had, and it only could have been the Holy Spirit that did that. But what was he doing? He was encouraging them. You hear from God. You're doing what God wants. This is working together. So that's part of exhortation. Uh, It gets really overlooked, but to me it's one of the most vital gifts because it just, it brings us together. It really brings us together, you know. Uh, Let's see. Thoughts, questions on that, comments? No? Good? Okay. Um... 
now we're going to transform here into social relationships, which is verse 9 to 21, but we're going to break it down. Verse 9 and 10. So in other words, this is how we deal with one another. It's going to be talking about how we deal with one another in the church, and then it's going to be talking about how we deal with those uh, that aren't in the church yet. Okay. Verse 9. Let love be without hypocrisy, abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love, give preference to one another in honor. Devoted. Uh, You know, when you're devoted to God, when you're devoted to your church family, it's, it's a completely different environment. Because it, it's you realize now that you are part of this body, and when you aren't there, you are missed. Because you have a function. It doesn't mean we can't take a Sunday off. Or That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about that when your gift isn't present there, we notice something's wrong. Something's missing. You know, because you bring that to the table. You bring that to the body of Christ. And so it's this devotion that we have to understand because uh, I think in this day of age, devotion is something that, that I remember when I, when I was younger, usually the idea was, and this is people coming out of the silent generation uh, that created the baby boom and all that stuff, their thing was you're going to get with one company and you will work with that one company your entire life, and you will retire to that company. Your identity, your work identity will be wrapped up in whether it's Ford Motor Company or Caltrans or the school district or, you know, State Farm or veterinary, whatever it is. That's who, you know. And uh, uh, But nowadays, there's no devotion to the company. And and it's and it's not just one way; it's both ways. There's no devotion because back in the day, the, the the companies, even though they might have been somewhat oppressive, there was a certain devotion to the employees because they understood the employees were the ones who were making the product, you know. And uh, uh, so there used to be. Uh, I, I remember real well. We lived in Los Angeles, and I always used to pass. Firestone and Firestone plant. No, I take it back. It was Goodyear because they had the blimp. And I always used to look to see if the blimp was in there when I was a little kid. And every now and then we would see the blimp literally landing on the factory. It was on fire. On, it was on Manchester. Uh, I can't remember the cross streets. But anyway, but the other thing that I remember, there was a huge parking lot, but then there was a huge baseball field. And the employees had teams. And they had teams by their by their divisions by their by their whatever they were, and they had a whole league, and we knew some people that worked there, and it was like a big thing. And on Sundays they would come, they would have picnics, and the and the and the families would play, and it was a camaraderie. It was a, you know, we're, we're going to do this as a team, as a family. There was a devotion there, but you see, the devotion uh, needs to be there to Christ. We need to be devoted to Christ. 
loyalty. There can be this in and out in there's, you know. And then also if God brings someone to a church, it's there for a reason to assemble, to help, and to do. And there's this devotion. It can't be this, well, you know, if it works for me, I'm going to stay. If it doesn't work for me, I'm going to go. What is that? That doesn't, that doesn't, you know, here today, gone tomorrow. You can't, you can't, uh, every employer, when they hire someone, they're hoping that employee is going to be long-term, right? Because you're investing in them. And you want them to invest back in the company. The longer they're there, the idea is the better they are, right? Should be the same way in church. You know, not that we hire them. God is the one who calls them, brings them in. That's why I say it again. In this room, makes no sense we're in this room except the fact that God called us together. Or on Sunday morning, you know, all these things. You know, he, was, he was born on the other side of the planet. You were born in Cuba. He was born in, he was born in South America. I know where you came from. But it doesn't make any, any sense, you know, naturally that we're all together because we didn't share anything other than Christ who called us and brought us together. So there needs to be that devotion to God and that devotion to one another to build something that he's calling us to build, right? So that's why devotion is important there. And it also says, uh, let's see, let love be without hypocrisy, abhor, abhor what is evil. In other words, hate evil. Hate what is evil, so it won't come into the church. Because evil will come into the church. This is how people get hurt in church. And you hear about it all the time, you know, you know, um, uh, you know, molestation in the church stealing in the church you know a church not being a church it's a cult you know it's 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 evil comes in we have to hate it to the point that you know it is not welcome is in, in other words it becomes a you're like saying no not in this house. You know, I, mean, I, I remember used to, <laughs> my mom used to say that. I used to say, well, the kid's down the street. He says, yeah, well, you don't live down there. You live in this house. And in this house, so I had no defense. Right? And so that's what we have to say. Yeah, okay, that's fine. But in this house, this is God's house. And this is what we're going to do. Right? And you, you, have to, you have to literally have to fight for that. Uh, verse 11, 12. It says, Not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, preserving in tribulation, devoted to prayer. You know, these are personal attitudes that we should have. Be devoted to them. Be devoted to what? In diligence, in a fervent spirit, in serving the Lord, in rejoicing in hope, in persevering in tribulation, it's going to happen. We're going to have tribulation, but, you know, uh, hang in there, uh, you know, and, and devoted to prayer. 
it's like you know sometimes it's 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 understand that prayer is so important that um, maybe we should do a Bible study on, on prayer one of these times. Just what is prayer? How do you pray? Why? Um, all these things. Maybe we'll do something like that. Uh, so I used to, teach, used to teach prayer for years and years. Uh, but prayer is so important. It's how we communicate to God. It's how God will communicate to us if we do prayer right. Because prayer isn't just my name is Jimmy, I'll take all you can give me. A lot of prayer is listening to what God is saying. Right? Um, but also, if we understand how important prayer is, when we get to that point that there's some sort of tribulation or something going on in our lives that we can't pray, we can get on the phone and call somebody and say, could you pray for me? Right now I can't pray. I had a pastor call me one time. Something happened with with his family, and he was so hurt, he was so upset. He says, "She says, he says, I'm not moving away from God. I'm just so angry. I'm so hurt. I can't pray right now. Would you please pray for me and my family?" Mm-hmm. Absolutely. See, that was that was humility, but it was also wisdom, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, so be devoted to these things. Verse thirteen. Contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. What do they need? What do the saints need? You know, you and you know, it's like a gift. The best gifts that people give you are the gifts that people give when they have thought about you. Because, in other words, they give you a gift based on what you need, not necessarily on what, what you what you want. Oh, I want a new pair of shoes. Yeah, but that raggedy old jacket you. <laughs> You know, or they give you a gift based on they see you doing something and they say, if I give them this, they'll be able to do that better. And when you give it to them, all of a sudden they realize, man, I really needed this. This really helped, right? But it's based upon looking at them and seeing them and, 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 and helping them. And again, these things kind of get missed in Christianity if we're not careful. Uh, Verse 14 to 16. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and curse not. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind towards one another. Do not be haunting in mind, but associate with the lowly. And do not be wise in your own estimation. And this is for those around us, believers and non-believers. You know, don't think just because we're in the church we're all that in a bag of chips and everything's wonderful and you're, you know, everybody else is a second-class citizen. You know, no, that's not true. Uh, you know, bless those who persecute you. It says, bless and curse not. Why? blessing. Yeah, it's contrary to what God says. We're called to be a blessing. We're called to bless. And he says, I will bless those that bless you. I will curse those that curse you. So in other words, if somebody's not treating us right, we don't have to worry about God will take care of whatever. 
It's just it's not mine to take retribution on that person. It's it's to God. You know, how do you handle things, you know, in a in a godly fashion? You know. Uh doesn't mean you're a doormat, but you know, how do you how do I do things in a godly fashion? Let's see here. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. You know, because again, if we're one body, we're going to share all things, right? So when someone's down, we share. When someone's up, we share. Because we're one body. Be of the same mind towards one another. Do not be haunting in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Pretty self-explanatory. Verse 17 and 18. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Live in peace with everyone. It depends on you, not the other person. Because you know better. Because God told you better. That's why it depends on you. So that's why it says, Blessed be the peacemaker. If both of them are believers, then guess what? You got two peacemakers. It's not that you're not going to have a disagreement. It's just that it's not going to become World War Three. You're going to work it out. Right? That's what he's saying here. That, uh, if possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Even those that we don't like. You have to be at peace with them. That's difficult at times. But you never know when the opportunity is going to come that you're going to witness to someone that you don't like. You never know. You just never know. Or someone that's associated with whatever. Well, I'm not going to go over there because they're whatever. And I don't like so-and-so, so I'm not going to go. Well, if God's calling you, you've got something to share. You need to do it. You know, but again, it doesn't mean the word doormats. It doesn't mean people walk all over us. You still have to use wisdom. You have to use guidance. And you know, how many times does he tell you to turn your cheek? Seventy times. Seven. No, that's forgive them. Oh, forgive them. How many times does he tell you to turn your cheek? Once, right? once, once, once. So you know, you're not. That's not Christianity. Getting whiplash. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's so, you know, you, you guys, okay, no, we're not going to do that. I'm not going to allow you to do that again. You're not going to walk over me that way again. But if they ask for forgiveness, so many times seven, yeah. Even you say, you know, how many times do I have to forgive you for this? Well, how many times does God have to forgive me for for my stuff? Right? See, we, we were real good at keeping records on the other side. On this side, we don't keep, right? We, we take it and tear it up. Well, God God took care of that. He, that was on the cross. He took that. Okay, yeah, but I still have to renew my mind and confess it. So, uh, 19 to 21. Never take your own revenge. Again, evil for evil. Don't do it because God's, you know, got that covered. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, and I will repay, says the Lord. That's Proverbs twenty twenty two. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing so, you will reap burning coals upon his head. 
That's Second uh, Kings six twenty-two. It says, "Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good." Verse twenty again. But if your enemy is hungry, now who's your enemy? Who does God say his enemy is? Non-believers. Huh? Non-believers. Non-believers. Yeah. Non-believers. So if your enemy is hungry, we're to do what? Feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. Because what is he saying? You know, he's saying how we're to handle and, and deal with non-believers. And if we just write them off and say, oh, well, you know, it's just in these four walls and we're all sanctified. And, you know, that's not what we're called to do. You know, we're called to go make disciples. We're called to go and meet and, and, and do that stuff. Not, not build a little fortress and say, oh, we'll love them once they come in. No. You still love them when they're out there enough to go out and get them. Right? You don't love what they do. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you will reap burning coals on his head. Now, this gets misused all the time. It says you'll reap burning coals on his head. What does that mean? Back in the day, when you didn't have electric ovens and you didn't have matches... Fire was very important. Hot coals were very important. Because hot coals would do what? Would keep your fire going. And so what would people do? They would go someplace and they would buy and get hot coals. And how would they transport them? In a metal container on their head. So hot coals on someone's head was actually a blessing. Because what does it say here? If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, you give him a drink. In doing so, you will reap burning coals on his head. You'll bless him. And they will see that. Right? In other words, you're giving them something. That's why. That's where the idea of uh, the rescue missions and stuff that started in the churches. What would you do? You would feed the homeless or the hungry. But what would you give them? The sermon. Right? You got to hear the sermon for you want to eat. You got to hear the sermon. And then you get the you get the food. Now it just turns into well we'll just feed you. We'll just how many we got? 40. Okay, let's bring a turkey in. Yeah, yeah. No sermon. It was a it was a Holy Ghost setup to get people saved and bring them into the church. But it just we let the government take it over. Do not overcome evil. <laughs> Do not overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So again, burning coals on the head is a good thing. In today's age, you say, well, I don't know. But when this was written, that was a good thing. Yeah. Burning coals. It was, <clears throat> again, if you get the book, uh, Manners and Customs, it, it'll show you stuff like that. Uh, it's on Amazon. Uh, I think there's part one, part two. But it shows you all those different things, you know, like how they walked into the temple, you know, with the donkey over the shoulder, I mean, with the lamb over the shoulders and stuff like that. So little little information, things like that. Uh, 
You know what I, you know, I wrote down here, and I don't remember doing it, how long ago I wrote it. It says, do not overcome, do not be overcome by evil, me, but overcome evil with good. So don't let it get me upset, and, but still do the right thing. And I made a little note to myself. <laughs> My page is broken here. What does that note say? A dog never gets offended. No, oh, a, my dog never My dog offended. never gets offended. <laughs> Think about it. You know what a dog I want. My dog never gets offended. Bad dog, go outside. Can't wait to come back in. And when it comes back in, it's not offended. Yeah, okay, I took the punishment. I did it. Yeah, okay, but yeah, we're, we're, we're good. Yeah. Right? You know? So I don't know what my thought process was there. <laughs> So, all right, we've got a couple of minutes, and I knew we would. Discussion. Christianity today. Think about this passage we just went through in terms of Christianity today. Do we find it in Christianity today? Is it prevalent? Well, I mean, if you were to look at the news, the answer would be no, but I tend to believe that all the good churches kind of fly under the radar. Okay, now that's where I'm going with this. Because I just kind of put this down here. I was just kind of thinking about this after I, I, I did this. I just kind of diagrammed it out real fast, and because Diego's always on me to do PowerPoint. And turn it into a PowerPoint. <laughs> <laughs> he says, come on, Pastor. you got to get up in the 20 cents. We like visuals. Yes, visual. So, when I say Christianity, you know, you have to qualify that statement. Because a lot of people will say, well, you Christians, and you say, I don't do that. What are you talking about? You Christians. You know, they do this and that. Or if they want to not Christianity, they'll get a a clip of some crazy cult guy doing something and say, this is Christianity. And we're looking at it going, no, that's not Christianity. But we have to understand where we are and we kind of have to think about this dialogue, this, this narrative, where we are in the big picture because, and this is just, just as a slight breakdown. The player, we're talking about Christianity. We're talking about Non-denominational churches, which is a lot of. They're independent. They can be house churches, very small. Or they could be some mega churches. They're non-denominational. They're not connected to a larger body. They're just an independent entity. And there's a lot of those. There's actually, uh, I think it was three years ago it happened... Southern Baptists used to be the largest group of Christians outside of Catholicism, Catholic, Roman Catholic. Now it's non-denominational churches. In other words, there's more non-denominational churches than there are Southern Baptist churches. We're the largest of the denominational churches, which is here, denominational churches, so Southern Baptist denominational churches would be like Methodist, Presbyterian, 
Catholicism, Southern Baptist, American Baptist, uh, whatever it might be, they're part of an association or a group of churches. Mennonites, there's all kinds, all kinds of, all kinds. So, do we know what they all believe and what they all teach? No, we know ballpark, but again, we're talking about you Christians. So, what are we talking about? And it's Catholicism, which is different than this group over here. It's its own entity. And, you know, some people say, no, they're not Christians. Well, yes, they are. They confess Jesus Christ. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they are grouped in as Christianity. Although even sometimes they won't consider themselves Christians because they think Christians are something different. But anybody that's saved through Jesus Christ is a Christian. Because remember, you can't take Christ out of Christianity because then you don't have Christianity. Right? Right? So, but that, that's just a product of what they've been raised. Then you hear this term on the news. Yeah, evangelical Christianity. What's evangelical Christianity? Who are they? Is it us? Should be every Christian huh? church. Should be every Christian church. Should be every Christian church. But it's, 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 if you listen to the news, it's basically... Republicans. Was <laughs> <laughs> yes. evangelical um, and yeah. a, a Republican? Yeah. Not the case. Reformed churches. Is a Reformed church not too far from here? What's a Reformed church? Uh, that's what home is at for me. I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. What? <laughs> just kidding. It's uh, Calvinist, right? It's called for Calvinist. It's what? It's reformed for Calvinist. It's, it's yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, 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 it goes, what they're saying is, they go back to the Reformation, which is where all these groups split from Roman Catholicism. It wasn't Roman Catholicism then, but later it became Roman Catholicism. They split from that, and it was called the Reformation. And so what they're saying is, they hold to the tenets of the original Reformation. A lot of them tend to be when he's talking about Calvinistic, the John Calvin and the five points of Calvinism. Okay. And then there's the questionable groups that call themselves Christian, but you can make a strong case that their leadership isn't. Some of the people in the pews might be, but the leadership in the hierarchy isn't. Yet they think they are. So when we look at the church today, we have to understand this and more is in what people call the church. And how do we define Christianity and how do we find our place in Christianity based upon what this is saying? You know, I'm not here to say who's right, who's wrong, because there are no perfect churches. But what I'm here to say is that not everybody is doing Romans 12 or other parts of the Bible. And my point is, we have to. Uh, so I'm saying about you know Tower of Pisa, we always have to look and say, are, are we still? 
on the line of God, or are we starting to lean a little bit? Because if we are, we, we, we better get back to orthodoxy. We better correct what it is. You see, the Reformation was an attempt to reform a crooked church structure. And so, you see, when something is crooked, it, it will collapse or it has already collapsed. And who does it collapse on? It collapses on the people. It doesn't work for them, it hurts them. That's why a lot of people say, well, I don't go to church anymore because they're all a bunch of hypocrites or all a bunch of phony. Well, what happened? It wasn't God. It wasn't his word. It was the people inside the church. It was the system. You know, I was in, I was in, uh, I was in seminary, and I, I, I doodle when I'm listening to, to things. And then sometimes afterwards, I look at my doodle, and I say, what the heck was I thinking? But then sometimes I look at it, and I say, oh, okay, I got it. That's why I got the metaphor of the, one day I, I doodled the, the Tower of Pisa based on what the guy was saying. Another time, I doodled a rocket, a rocket ship. And afterwards, I looked at that, and I go, I don't let anybody see that one. But then afterwards, when I started looking at it, I said, you know what? That's like the body of Christ. A rocket ship, you got all these designers, like all the different authors in the Bible. They have one goal in mind, to build a package that will lift off, that will take off, that will do what it's supposed to do. And whether you're working on the wing or you're working on the interior of it, it's like the books of the Bible. It's all one thing. It's all connected, right? But you can have this most beautiful, pristine rocket that's perfect. We're talking about Christianity. Christianity is supposed to be a particular... It's supposed to... This, the Word of God is perfect, right? That's the rocket ship. It's perfect. It's built perfectly. All the engineers, they listened to the Holy Spirit. They got it down right. They did it. But why won't it take off? Or why does it blow up when it takes off? Because they did something wrong. Huh? Because somebody did something wrong. Because of the fuel that went in it. Is either wrong in my instance, what I'm saying. If you don't put the right kind of fuel in there, it won't burn. It won't take off. It's going to look pretty. But it won't ignite. Or, in again, being a baby boomer and watching the early flights and all those things blowing up. When I, when I think rocket, half of my memory is rockets blowing up. It's what caused them to blow up. And most of the times, I remember, it was because of the fuel. It wasn't either cold enough or it was too hot. It went into the thing too fast and, the, and it blew up. Well, that's kind of like us. The Word of God is perfect, but then we get in it, and if we're not matching what the Word of God says, it's either it's not going to take off, or it could start to rise a little bit and then it blows up it's there. Of, of, of with the, under the umbrella of Christianity. And so now you, when you say Christianity, it's like, well, I can't vouch for this group. I kind of know what they're about, but I can't vouch for them. These guys, I don't want them. 
these guys I can sort of associate with them because yeah, like like Larry said, we're supposed to all be evangelical. You know, this is our group here. You know, so I I should, but I'm going to the convention this year. You know, the convention this year, this group is in danger splitting because there's 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 a there's there's a uh, because of all of this stuff that's going on around us. Is starting to creep into the church. And there's a group of people that want, it's kind of like this. If this is conservative thought and this is liberal thought, not, not theological, just conservative type people. Okay. For the most part, you would find Southern Baptists of. Over here. Right? Whereas your questionable groups, they'd be over here. <laughs> right? They'd be so liberal and so willing to accept anything and do anything. Well, God's doing this today, tomorrow, God's gonna do that, and God's this and God way off the way off the chart here. Then you have some of these other groups. Like there's some denominational groups that 10, 15, 20 years ago were right here. They're right here. And now they're over here. And some of them are even over here. How does that happen? How do they move to now, okay, we'll allow that. We'll allow women preachers. We'll ordain gays. How does that happen? You've got to move away from something. And what you're really moving away from is this. But see, liberal conservative is the way the world wants to define us, but we shouldn't be defined that way. We should be divine. Orthodox. We should be defined by how orthodox we are, meaning how close are we to the Word of God. That's how we should be defined. That's this is theologically. So, if being aligned close here, the world might call you conservative but you're really here because this is where God is calling us to be he's calling us to be a part of our word and so if we don't check it then what happens is we start moving away and again this is the plumb line somewhere we start going off Eventually, it's going to fall. So this is what he's saying here, and this is kind of a loose demonstration of, of, of the idea that as Christians, whoever group we are in here, we need to identify here. And if you identify here, then you identify here, and you follow here. And this, these are the groups that they are evangelical, 
they tend to be more conservative. They tend to be uh, 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 Christ-centered, very Christ-centered. They uh, um, they are uh, uh, not. Uh, they don't follow trends. They tend to follow God more. Not affected by opinions. Huh? Not affected by opinions. Yeah, not affected by opinions. We'll stand firm in the face of opinions that say, oh, you guys are just a bunch of old whatever. Yeah. You know, and you're, and you're oppressing us. Because that's what the world wants to say to us. They want to say to us that we're oppressing them because we have, what? Biblical standards, which is orthodoxy. And see, if we don't fight for this, then what happens is all that stuff comes into here and we lose the orthodoxy. We still have the title church. We still have the title Southern Baptist. We still have the title Presbyterian, whatever. Presbyterian has two main groups. One is conservative, one is extremely liberal. But 25 years ago, they were together. But they had a break in the thing of ordaining women. And now the one that's drifted has, has now they're, they're ordaining gays. They have gay churches. They have all this stuff. Uh, Nazarene churches, same thing. There's two main groups. Methodists. Methodists. John Wesley started the Methodist movement. And Methodist means method. He was the one that came up with a method to teach the Bible. And that's what it's called Methodist. And he was, him and his brothers were Orthodox. So solid. But some Methodist churches today are so liberal, they don't even use the name of God. They don't even use the name of Christ when they're praying. I mean, they, they, they just allow for almost anything. Wasn't that the representative who offered up the opening prayer in Congress, Methodists, and... The guy who was kooky. Yeah, and a Brahmin, the, the yeah. monotheistic God. Yeah, yeah, and he was all this kind of stuff, and everybody's looking sideways like, what is going on? Yeah. You know, we get that in in, uh, in at city council. As you open up for the churches, um, a Methodist pastor came in, and oh, mysterious one. Oh. <laughs> That there was her name for God. Oh, mysterious one. Well, my Bible tells me that we're to proclaim the mysteries of God because we know who God is, therefore there's no mystery to us. It might be a mystery to you, but it's not a mystery to us. See, that's how far away from orthodoxy it gets. So, again, when we're looking at Christianity, my whole point with this, where does it start? Well, if this is where we identify, then that's where it starts. And so we have to fight to make sure that as a denomination, as a group, we stay here because there's a group of people that want to come in that are newer, that are not. Here's the here's danger with I'll close real quick. The danger with a lot of younger people that are, are coming in, nothing wrong with young pastors, I'm not saying that that some of them are not educated enough or they're not trained enough to know how to teach Scripture properly. Mm-hmm. 
and you know they'll put together a great light show they'll get a good band they'll get whatever people come more to be entertained they don't come to learn about god so therefore they don't know about god and so therefore they cannot make a critical estimation when something is not god because they don't know but you see we have to know and this is what he's saying here that's the whole point of that so I'm going to stop with that because I can go on for a long time. This. this is one of my major rants right now. I feel it coming on. <laughs> Mary's glad she's not here. She would be hearing it all the way home. So any thoughts or questions about that? You know, so uh, pray for Southern Baptists. I don't think we're going to have a split this year. Yada, yada. But there's there's been challenges like this to us before. Uh, and we weathered the storm. But... Um, there was a, a lady, I don't know if you know her name, we, we were talking about her. her. name is Beth Moore. She was a big in Southern Baptist, wrote a lot of books. A couple of years ago, she wanted to be president of the Southern Baptist Association. A lot of them say, no, that's, that's a male's role in there. And she says, well, it's not a pastor's role. They said, yeah, but it's a leadership role. And Paul says, I will not have a woman over, you know, yada, yada. And so, uh, you know, that became kind of a sticking point for some. And it started a little division. Well, she announced last week she's left Southern Baptist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because again, control. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You don't get control. And the top is saying no. You got to leave. Mm-hmm. So hopefully the top continues to say no. So now watch, she'll appear up somewhere, pastor of some church somewhere, or doing something. You know, but it's it's, this is how If you don't understand, if you're not going to follow in all humility and be in, in, in be what it, what, it, what it says here, you know, a humble servant of God presenting your body as a living sacrifice to carry out the edits of God, then you're going to allow things to come in to your thought. You're not renewing your mind to God. You're renewing your mind to something else, and then you move away. So our job is we got to constantly renew our mind to this, because if we don't, Something else comes in and muddies, muddies the water. Yeah. Right? No knock against muddy waters. I like muddy waters music. That's just a little metaphor. Anyway, I'm done. Thoughts, questions? Um, a few years ago, I was watching um, um, a service, I think, from a minister in a big church in Texas. And I heard him say, it's about this church. I heard him say that if the if women pastors are um, accepted in the Baptist, that he will take his congregation out of the um. And I thought, when I first heard it, I thought, okay, that was a little presumptuous, even though I myself don't, don't, you know, I don't think women pastors should be, but I thought, uh, but I wonder if it was right or wrong. And, um, so, you know, I was looking in the Bible where it says, I think Paul is teaching that no women should be mm-hmm. pastors. So I thought, okay, so maybe he was right, but is, is he supposed to be pushing up about that? He should not be the one that makes that ultimate decision. He should be the one that influences that decision to the congregation who votes themselves mm-hmm. because we're con- congregational. We don't have just one person. Okay. In other words, not what I say. Mm-hmm. But I present it to the body, and the mm-hmm. body says, that sounds theologically, yes, amen, mm-hmm. you're right. Mm-hmm. That's the way we're going to go. 
but I understand what, what he was saying. But we, unfortunately, we, we might have to take those kind of stands to maintain who we are. Because if we don't, we become something else. Yeah. And that's what, that, that's why we have so many different. And again, when someone says they're Baptist, it doesn't mean they're Southern Baptist. Mm -hmm. There's over 100 different groups that identify as Baptist. So when they say Baptist, doesn't mean Southern Baptist. Mm -hmm. yeah. You may you need to go on a little bit farther next time. When mm -hmm. yeah, um, I do when I church, uh, teach church history. We want to break down who they all are and all that stuff. Maybe we'll do that. Uh, you might want to think about what you want to study after Romans, because I'm open to anything. You guys want to make some suggestions or think about it? And come because we're in a couple of weeks. We're going to be done with Romans. We can, we can do all kinds of stuff, you know. So, okay, good. Let's pray, Lord God. We just thank you for this discussion tonight. Just look into your Word, Lord. Again, our desire is to be pleasing in your sight, to uh, present ourselves as living sacrifices, Lord, and to uh, proclaim the excellencies of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So, Father, we just thank you for this opportunity to grow closer to you, to grow our faith, to grow stronger in the Word and theologically, Lord. And so, Father, we just uh, pray for the body of Christ, Lord, that we come together as one under the cross, under the name of Jesus Christ, under the teachings of Jesus Christ, under the teachings of the Holy Bible. And so, Father, we just thank you. Uh, we give you praise, we give you honor, and we give you glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.